Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, I want to welcome all of you who are here in the room today, everybody who's watching online, whether you're here in Georgetown, like my friend Chris Kalerik, who's homebound today. I told him I'd give him a shout out. Also, our video campus in Giddings, Texas. Did you know we had a video campus out there? How about a round of applause for our video in Giddings? That's awesome. So we're so glad everybody's watching and joining us today. And this morning, we're going to take a look once again at the life of Abraham. Because of all the times that God asked somebody to go and do something, this one is probably the craziest ask of all. And the snapshot that we're going to look at today from Abraham's life, it's both powerful and a little disturbing, if we're honest. It's powerful because we see Abraham at his finest. Okay, he sets a great example for all of us. It's disturbing because if we enter into this story personally, it can be a bit unnerving. And I remember as an adult, when I first read this story, I really didn't think too much of it. But the magnitude of it really hit me when I sat down with my oldest son, Nick, when he was a child, and tried to explain this story to him. When Nick was a toddler, we had one of those cute little picture Bibles that we were working through every night before he went to bed. And it was so much fun, right? We had the creation account, and then you've got Adam and Eve, and the serpent comes into play, and Noah and the ark and the flood, the Tower of Babel, all these cool stories. And then we came to this story about Abraham. And on the first page, you see a picture of a dad and his son. And Nick kind of lit up a little bit as I explained to him, well, this is Abraham and his son Isaac. And they're going on a little walk together. Isn't that nice? Like a little camping trip to Moriah. You got dad, son, a donkey just strolling along. And then I flipped the page. (laughs) And folks, I was literally at a loss for words because all of a sudden, the picture there is of a kid tied up and bound to this platform, okay? And the dad has a knife in the air like this over the child. And Nick, literally, he's looking up at me with his eyes bugged out. And I can tell what he's thinking. He's going, gee, dad, this guy's got some serious anger issues. What the? And I'm like, uh. You know, what we do when we encounter this story, we try to go really quickly to the end of the story, don't we? I mean, we want to bring the resolution real fast. Like, we can't get there quick enough. Well, unfortunately, this morning, I'm not going to let us do that. All right, we're going to walk slowly through this test with Abraham because it's here that we discover why Abraham was such a hero of the faith. Now, to give you some context, God had made a special promise, a blessing to Abraham. It was a covenant that God made with Abraham, assuring him that he would become the father of many nations. His descendants would be countless, and he would have a promised land. And all those blessings were going to come through his son. Now, that's interesting because at the time, Abraham didn't have a son. And there comes a point in Abraham's life when he does one of these little timeouts and says, "Uh, God, thanks for all these blessings and promises and all that. There's one itty-bitty problem. I don't have a child. 
Well, if you fast forward a bit in the book of Genesis, all of a sudden, Abraham and Sarah, they're pregnant with a child that they're going to call Isaac, which interestingly enough means laughter. Because when God told them they were going to have a child, they cracked up laughing. Abraham was 100 years old, okay? Sarah was 90. You should be laughing too right now. Little blue pill wasn't around back then, okay? The thought of them having a kid was more than a little weird. I always say it was a season for Depends, not Pampers in their life, all right? But they have a child, Isaac. And so God's promise is born. Now, where things get a little bizarre, a little twisted, is when God comes into play and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac as an offering. Now, an offering was a normal thing in those days. But the offerings that God instituted were with animals, not with human beings. So Abraham had to be thinking, you know, God, a while back you asked for that whole circumcision thing to prove that I'm yours. And like, I would have preferred a tat or a secret handshake, just about anything else. But I went along with that. And now you want my kid as an offering? I mean, Abe had to be a little confused by all this. And the Bible doesn't tell us how old Isaac is. We know he wasn't a baby, though because he carried wood on his back. He asked intelligent questions. So why would God ask Abraham to do something that in our minds seems so twisted? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 22.1. Very simple. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. You might circle that word tested there. Let's think about this logically for a second. The test wasn't for God's sake, okay? It wasn't for God's sake. It was for his sake, for Abraham's sake. See, God knew exactly how much faith Abraham had, just like he knows exactly how much faith you have. So have you ever thought in life when you get into a difficult situation, when you get into a tight spot, that God might be testing your faith, not for his benefit, but for yours? God allows trials to happen in our lives for our own spiritual growth. So guess what? If you're being tested right now, that is good news. It means God is working in your life. James 1, 2 to 3 says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So God puts us on trial. He tests us by placing us in challenging tight spots so that we can develop perseverance. Now, what I did is I made a list of some possible tight spots that God can use in our lives. See if any of these resonate with you. I want you to be thinking about what your tight spot may be. It could be a money tight spot. That's a biggie, right? You know, in debt, over budget, verge of bankruptcy. Marital tight spots, struggles with your spouse. A dating relationship turns sour. Working in a job riddled with conflict. Health issues that won't go away. Being single and seeing no way out. Kids that seem distant, losing connection, students struggling in school, taking care of aging parents. The list goes on and on. So those are just a few, but I want you to think right now, what is your tight spot? And write it down. Don't just think about it, okay? Because if you don't personalize this, it just becomes another message in a sea of messages. Now, how many of you in here would say that in the last 12 months, you have been put in a significant tight spot? You felt like you're in a significant tight spot. Would you raise your hand just for the sake of everybody else? Raise them up high. See, look around. You're not alone in this room. 
And if you didn't raise your hand, either A, you're deceiving yourself, B, okay, you don't have enough faith to be tested maybe, or C, the perfect storm is coming your way soon. Congratulations. That's pretty much your options right there. That's it for the multiple choice. But let me give you some good news in the midst of tight spots. Every time I talk to somebody and I ask them, where's the point in your spiritual journey where you grew the most? Inevitably, they point back to a tight spot and say, that's when I grew the most. That's when I really sensed the Lord's presence. And because tight spots can be an arena for growth, I want us to analyze this most difficult test in Abraham's life to see not only how he survived, but how he actually came out as a hero of the faith, a model for us to emulate. So first of all, Abraham lived with confidence, people. Abraham lived with confidence. Now, I could have used the biblical word faith, but confidence is the result of somebody who's living their life by faith. Confidence is faith in action. Instead of denying the tight spot or running away from the tight spot, we face it, we deal with it. And I want you to look at the confidence Abraham had with God's request. This is Genesis 22, 1 to 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, how many of you, when you hear this, are uncomfortable? Would you just raise your hand? Can we be honest here? Raise your hand up high. Yeah, you should be uncomfortable with this. It does not sound right. It does not fit the character of God. This is a crazy ask. It's the most unusual go in the Bible. In fact, I would say if you were hearing this or reading this for the very first time without any other frame of reference, you would be thinking, what kind of a God is this? You talk about a tight spot. Lord said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and sacrifice him. When my kids were little, I remember trying to personalize this message from God to Abraham. I tried to imagine in my mind God coming down and saying, Brian, take your son, Nick, whom you love. Or take your son, Nate, whom you love. <sighs> I got to tell you, there would be some serious arguing, serious debating going on between me and God in that moment. I mean, like, take, take the dog, God, okay? <laughs> or better yet, take the neighbor's cats, you know, all of them. That's great. Not my son. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Not happening. You, you don't have to be a parent to feel the intensity of this one, though. So Abraham, he becomes the poster child for being put in a tight spot, for being asked to give up what he loves the most in the world. And think about this. Isaac wasn't just Abraham's child. He was the fulfillment of a promise. Isaac was the hope for the future. But look at the confidence Abraham has here. It's unbelievable. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, where's the confidence in that verse, you ask? It's found in three simple words. Abraham got he got up. 
Like if you and I were asked to do this, we wouldn't have been able to get to sleep at night, right? There's not a chance. I couldn't get to sleep knowing that was coming. Abraham got up. Now, the Bible doesn't let us into the mind of Abraham, but you got to wonder, what was he thinking? Like, what was going on in his head? How do you have a conversation with your wife about what you're getting ready to do? Like, do you even have that conversation? Do you just leave? Hey, dear, me and Isaac are going out, and he's not coming back. I mean, what? How do you do that? The one thing we know is that Abraham went. And, folks, there's not even a hint of questioning in the text from Abraham to God. So why did he do it? Why did he go? Because he had confidence in who God is. And by the way, the result of a person who lives with confidence is a little thing called perspective. Confidence allows you to rise above your tight spot, to rise above your problem and see life from a different perspective. When you view life through the lens of faith, You see things that other people don't see. You see God working. And Abraham obviously had that kind of confidence, that kind of perspective. You know, I was trying to think how to illustrate this, and it reminded me of a time many, many years ago when I was in a mall in Dallas, Texas. And they had all these funky 3D stereogram images, I think is what they call them. It's those images where if you stare at them long enough and closely enough, eventually the three-dimensional object kind of pops out at you. And, and they had them all over the wall there. And it seemed like everybody else and their dog could eventually see those 3D images up here, but not yours truly, okay? And because I couldn't see them, I became obsessed with these images. I made a covenant, okay, a commitment. I am not leaving here until one of these images appears to me. And, I mean, I'm sitting there for a long time. They tell you to stare at it. Just keep staring at it. Keep staring at it. And I'm like staring and staring and staring We're not talking about five minutes, like 10, 15, 20 minutes. And everybody who walks by is a coach, right? They tell you what to do. What you got to do is you got to squint. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) No, what what you got to do is look beyond yourself. What what, what does that mean? Nothing. Little kids were very cocky, right? They'd walk by and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's a dragon riding a rainbow shooting nuclear warheads. You you don't see that? (laughs) What? About 35, 40 minutes into it, I'm starting to think this is like a conspiracy. Like everybody else is in on the joke. Like where's the hidden camera? What's going on here? So literally an hour and 15 minutes later, uh, finally, I'm I'm looking at one. It's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got it. I think it was one of the remedial models, but I got it, okay? And once I figured out how to look at that, when I went on to the next one, it's like, oh, okay. And I began to see them differently, not because those images changed, but because I had taken on a new perspective. And then people who were having a hard time, I would walk over to them and go, you don't see that? What's your problem? <laughs> but, but I share that story with you because Abraham had been looking to God for so long, he had developed an entirely different perspective. He saw things that other people didn't see. And his perspective, his perspective allowed him to rise above the situation. His perspective even superseded his love for his only child. In the midst of that tight spot, Abraham had the perspective that God will provide. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, 
Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now you had to imagine that was coming sooner or later. Can you picture this? Isaac is carrying the wood. His dad, Abraham, has the fire and the knife, and they're just strolling along, and all of a sudden, Isaac stops and says, Hey, Pop, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the knife. Where's the sacrifice? Now, if you'll allow me, let me take just a a little side note here. I want to share this with you. You know, sometimes dads get criticized for making their sons do all the work, but did you notice here that the kid is the one carrying all the wood? Okay. Yeah, like Abraham just has the knife and the fire. So when dad's sitting there lazy boys and say, son, go mow the lawn, I'll be in charge of the remote, that's biblical, okay? (laughs) Abraham did it, just saying. All you dads, you can thank me later, okay? The the women are all going. (laughs) Okay, seriously, though, this is a good question, Isaac asks. What's going on here, dad? And look at Abraham's response in verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Here are the three key words. God will provide. God will provide. Now, let's make this personal. In your tight spot, have you written it down yet? Do you have confidence that God will provide a way out? Or do you live your life saying, oh, man, I better do something quickly or things are going to get tougher on me here? Faith says God will provide. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith pleases God more than anything else. God expects you to realize that, that he's God and you're not, that he's in control and you are not. You see, Abraham reasoned that even if he had to kill his son, God could bring him back to life again. In fact, referring to this very story, the writer of Hebrews confirms this. Says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Boy, that's faith. That is confidence. By the way, the writer of Hebrews also says to you and me, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So Abraham lived with confidence. And second, Abraham looked for and followed God's direction. The spiritually mature person is constantly looking for and following God's direction. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. See, Abraham steadfastly followed God's direction for three days. The Bible doesn't say anything about him turning back. But can you imagine the torment that must have been going on in his mind as he took that journey? I mean, with every step, he knew what was at the end of that journey at Moriah, sacrificing his son. And folks, sometimes God's direction doesn't seem to make much sense. And I've got to believe that on that three-day journey, Abraham doubted. I mean, his faith was strong, but it wasn't perfect. If you know his story earlier on in his life, he passed off his wife as his sister to save his own hide. Earlier on in his life, he slept with his wife's servant because he had given up faith that God would provide. He was going to try to take matters into his own hands, right? He wanted a kid at any cost. So there was some doubt along the way, but if there's one thing 
that Abraham got consistently right, it was this. He kept going. He obeyed God. He looked for and followed God's direction in spite of the doubts. Now, let me go after you a little bit personally here because I, I talk to people all the time who want God's blessings in their life, but they don't want God's direction. See, everyone wants the results, but very few people want the path. They, want, they don't want the road, right? And why is that? I think it's because oftentimes God's direction is countercultural to the world's ways of doing things. It's different than our natural way of thinking. See, the world says, be first in all you do. God says, if you want to be first, serve, be last. The world says, if somebody wrongs you, you get revenge. God says, no, no, no. You love that person. You pray for that person. See, God's direction gives birth to doubt because it's often difficult and it's different. Now, I talk to people on a regular basis who are in a rough place in their marriage, and the world and their flesh is saying, tank it. You did everything you could. Just, just, just give up. Well, God's direction is different. God says, hang in there. Let me give you the grace to endure and see if you can't work through these issues. I mean, make no mistake about it. God's direction in life, whether it's your marriage, your career with your kids, whatever, it's tough. It's often tough, but the blessings are worth it. And I found that the key to spiritual growth is doing what's right, even when it's tough. It's a little word called obedience. Doing what's right. You don't cheat. You don't compromise. You don't fudge in your business practices, even though you know you'd make a whole lot more money if you did. Because you want God to bless your business, you do what's right. Now, just as a little side note here, the, the primary place to get God's direction and guidance in life is this book right here, the Bible. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God's word, the Bible, is our primary source of guidance and direction. But just because you own a Bible doesn't mean you read it, right? And just because you read it doesn't mean you apply it. I bet you know a whole lot more about the Bible than you obey. But in your tight spot, like the road to Moriah, what you've got to do is you've got to look here. You've got to look to God for direction and be willing to follow his guidance. So first, Abraham lived with confidence. Second, he looked for and followed God's direction. And finally, Abraham labored with focus. I think labor is the key word here because staying focused in life can be difficult. I mean, thanks to television and the media, the average attention span in our culture today is about 30 seconds, right? Emails, pop-ups, social media, cell phones, text. They keep us all in a constant state of transition. It can be hard to focus, to stay on task. But I think it's vital in our spiritual journey. And so Abraham's focus is a real model for us. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. All right, try to imagine this, okay? Isaac is all bound up now saying, Dad, hey, what's going on here? But Abraham stayed focused. He didn't allow Isaac to distract his obedience. Boy, the temptation to stop in that moment must have been unbearable. I mean, there he is holding his child, laying him on that altar, the same child he held when that baby came out of the womb. The same child he 
just talked to and told stories to and cuddled with when he was a kid. The same child he picked up whenever he would stumble and fall. Now he's laying that child down as a sacrifice. Like how in the world could he do that? And the only answer I can come up with is that Abraham focused on God, not on Isaac. In your tight spot, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your God or are you focusing on your Isaac? What I've found in life is when I focus on my tight spot, it just gets worse. It just gets tighter. Are you focused on God or your job? Are you focused on God or your kids? Are you focused on God or, or your spouse? You say, but, but they're good things. Of course they're good things. Isaac was a good thing. But even a good thing has the potential to become a bad thing if it blurs your focus on God. Remember, God says, don't have any other gods before me. Like he wants to be the center of your affection. He wants to be on your mind 24-7. I think Abraham had learned that skill. He had learned to have that perspective. He learned that secret to stay focused. And look at the results. I mean, there he is with a knife over his son in verse 11. Let me read the rest of this passage here. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering <clears throat> instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed God has a system of blessing that defies human logic. I mean, God has a way of blessing people that I don't fully understand, but I do know this. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. God honors and blesses faithfulness. God honors and blesses obedience. God honors and blesses those who have confidence in him, take steps in his direction, and stay focused on his ways. So people, whenever you encounter troubles in life, tough times in life, whatever your tight spot is, I want you to think about the example of Abraham. I can't imagine facing a greater struggle. And consider the outcome of his faithfulness. Blessings for all the nations on earth. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks in our Christmas series, that Christmas time doesn't really begin with the nativity. It actually begins with Abraham. Now, before I wrap up this message this morning, there's no way I can wrap this up and not point out the obvious relationship between Isaac in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, a sacrificial death. See, Jesus, like Isaac, walked to the place of sacrifice, carrying the wood on his back on which he would be put to death. But when Jesus was bound to that cross, 
there was no voice to save him. I mean, our Heavenly Father really did sacrifice his only begotten son. This time, there was no other option. This time, there was no other sacrifice. This time, the son died. And his death was for you. And his death was for me. Well, let that one sink in. Why? Why did he do it? Well, the answer is as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible story. It's the most unusual, bizarre ask to go anywhere in Scripture. And I do believe it's, it's there for a purpose. Because as unfathomable as it was for you to ask that of Abraham, you did that for us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for loving us that much. And I just pray if there's anybody right now listening to this and they have not put their faith in Jesus, they have not recognized that the reason Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago was to die for their sins, that they would embrace that by faith. And say, Jesus, right now, I just believe that I can't save myself. I believe you lived the perfect life I couldn't live. I believe you died on that cross to forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life. And I thank you for it. God, for those of us here who have put our faith in you, I pray that this story would remind us afresh of your incredible love and the incredible example of Father Abraham. God, I pray that you would grant us the confidence he had, the steadfastness that he had, the focus that he had. Like Abraham, would you enable us to, to keep our hearts and minds committed to you even when the going gets tough? And to not let us be distracted by the voices of our flesh, the world, and the evil one. God, I pray that you would help us to live our lives with the confidence that comes from knowing you intimately. And give us the kind of faith that will trust you regardless of how crazy things around us may appear. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. We'll see you.